Axios reports this morning that women are more likely to die during childbirth in states and counties that restrict access to abortion. Thanks, Judge Alito. Thank you. According to studies from the Milliken Institute, there is now an epidemic of what are called maternal care deserts. You know how there are food deserts in poor neighborhoods where you can't get fresh vegetables or fruits? Well, thanks to Judge Alito, thanks to last year's ruling where they overturned Roe v. Wade, there is now a shortage of doctors delivering babies and delivering medical advice in the lead up to the birth of a baby. And that's killing the mothers. Thank you, Supreme Court. You really are pro-life. The March of Dimes reports that 5.6 million American women now live in maternal care deserts with 300 maternity wards shutting down just in the past five years, which is why the Centers for Disease Control reports that the number of women who die during childbirth has doubled in the past three years. This is incredible. In 2018, 17 women out of every 100,000 live births here in America died during childbirth. 17 American women out of every 100,000 live births died during childbirth. Now, 33 women out of every 100,000 live births die during childbirth. I don't know, Medicare for all, legalize abortion, gets worse in states like Mississippi and Alabama, which are seeing on average 63 women out of every 100,000 women dying during childbirth, and even worse in 10 southern states, because it's always the southern states that are killing women, outlawing abortion, killing women. In 10 southern states, black women over the age of 35 had a mortality rate of 219 deaths per 100,000 childbirths last year. Now, where you outlaw abortion, you decrease the chances of women surviving childbirth. Where you outlaw abortion, you... uh, Did I say decrease? You increase the chances of women dying during childbirth. I hope I said that right. Where you outlaw abortion, you increase the chances of women dying from childbirth because you decrease their chances of finding a gynecologist. Because doctors do not want to practice medicine. Gynecologists do not want to practice medicine in Texas or any other backwater state that persecutes women. They do not want to be falsely accused. These gynecologists do not want to be falsely accused of performing an abortion. And they don't practice medicine in these states and women die. Okay, that's what happens when you outlaw abortion. Women die. So much for being pro-life. Speaking of America's pro-life policy, there are now reports that the war in Ukraine is leaving soldiers and civilians maimed on a level not witnessed in Europe since World War I. But let's send more cluster bombs, shall we? New estimates say that as many as 50,000 Ukrainians have had one 
or more limb amputated since Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion of that country. The number of amputees is reportedly higher due to the lag time between the operations where they cut off the limbs and the reporting of the procedures. The Darien Gap is a dangerous stretch of jungle roads and paths connecting Panama to Colombia. And a record number of migrants are risking their lives walking through it to reach America. So far this year, 250,000 migrants have walked through that stretch, which exceeds the entire number of migrants who attempted that route last year. Why are so many migrants trying to get to America? Why are so many migrants from South America, Central America, trying to come here? Why? Meanwhile, the U.S. Southern Border Patrol reports July saw a 30 percent jump in migrants who were apprehended at the border. Uh, That's a 30 percent jump in the number of migrants apprehended at the border over the number in June. Uh, Last month in July, 130,000 migrants were arrested. That's 30,000 more migrants who were arrested in June. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced that he and his wife's hat of 18 years are separating. A clarification on yesterday's program, I may have inadvertently created the impression that on Tuesday, six co-conspirators were indicted along with Donald Trump. What I should have said is that the indictment included six unnamed co-conspirators who have not yet been indicted. In the series of indictments handed down Tuesday by special counsel Jack Smith for the role Donald Trump played in attempting to overturn the 2020 presidential election, only Donald Trump was indicted on Tuesday, Thursday at 4 p.m. He gets arrested. So six people, five of whom are lawyers, were named as co-conspirators, but they have not been indicted Yet Trump and only Trump has been indicted. His co-conspirators could be indicted. They currently live with the threat of indictment hanging over their heads. And the five lawyers are and it's important to know their names because this is the trial of the 21st century. This is the most important trial this is as important as it gets. So the the five lawyers who were named, we think, as co-conspirators, and they haven't been indicted yet, are Justice Department official Ken uh, Jeffrey Clark, who Trump planned on making acting attorney general to drum up phony election fraud cases. Rudy Giuliani, who led Trump's legal team challenging the elections in our courts, he lost 61 voter fraud cases before January 6. Giuliani also traveled to battleground states that Trump lost, states like Pennsylvania, Arizona, Wisconsin, Nevada, Michigan and Georgia, to convince state legislatures that voter fraud was rampant. And he tried to convince the state legislatures that they had it in their powers to reverse the election results without permission from their respective governors or state Supreme Courts. 
Okay, this is important because I'm going to talk about this later. Rudy Giuliani was pushing a theory that state legislatures on their own, without permission from governors or the state Supreme Court, could overturn election results and send their own slates of electors to Washington for certification on January 6th. I'm begging you to please remember this unitary legislative theory that was being pushed by Trump's lawyers. It's a little complicated, but if you want to understand why these guys are all going to prison, you need to understand that there was a legal theory at play, a, a, mis, a purposefully misreading of the Constitution where Trump's lawyers tried to convince state legislators that they could reverse an election and send their own slate of fake electors to Washington. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a legal theory that's very complicated. Okay. State legislatures, they claimed Trump, Giuliani, and uh, the, the uh, co-conspirators, they try to convince legislators, Republican legislators, that they had the power separate from the governor and their respective state Supreme Courts to overturn an election if they could vo vo prove voter fraud. And they could unilaterally award states, their state's electors to the candidate they deemed was the real winner, Donald Trump. OK, I'm going to return to this legal theory. I want you to understand it because I think you're going to be hearing a lot about that theory from Trump's lawyers as we move closer to the trial. OK, I don't expect anyone to fully understand this. And that's what, as always, Trump and his lawyers were banking on confusion. So Rudy Giuliani conspired with Trump to spread the lie that voter fraud was real, even though he privately acknowledged before judges that it was purely theoretical. He said there was no evidence. He said that to the judges. That's why he lost 61 cases before January 6. He lost 61 voter fraud cases before January 6. And when he went to the individual battleground states and testified before state legislatures, met privately with legislators, he admitted that he had no evidence. No evidence. He said, I have no evidence. That proves criminal intent. If you know you're lying, but you spread these lies to overturn an election, that is fraud. Your criminal intent, the mens rea, is revealed in your privately admitting, I'm lying. Okay, so that's Rudy Giuliani. Then there's John Eastman. He's the lawyer who provided the memos, the legal theories upon which Trump and his co-conspirators, especially Rudy Giuliani, could justify sending phony electors to Washington, D.C. John Eastman, former clerk under Clarence Thomas, best friends with Ginny Thomas, also a lawyer, Ginny Thomas. I don't think she passed the bar. I don't think she could pass the bar. Uh, uh, John Eastman provided a lot of the, the legal heft uh, to convince Donald Trump that it was well within his constitutional rights to twist Mike Pence's arm and insist that as vice president, he possessed the unitary power on January 6th 
not to certify the election for Joe Biden. Okay, other co-conspirator, John Cheesebro, Harvard, another attorney who provided memos that contained advice to state Republicans and the battlegrounds, battleground states on how to make a phony slate of electors seem legitimate. Even worse, and he's flown under the radar, uh, radar Cheesebrew uses legal memos to advise Trump on how to rely on deceit to whip up anger and confusion in the lead up to January 6th, anger and confusion in Congress and on the streets. He talks in his memos about whipping up anger on the streets so that the Supreme Court would take notice before January 6th and intervene before January 6th. And Cheesebro writes that they would either award the presidency to Trump because the court is packed with Republicans or they would order the, the Supreme Court would intervene and order the election to be decided by Congress as it was in 1886. And because of the way each state delegation in Congress is weighted when it comes to voting for president, Republicans would have had the distinct advantage over Democrats. When, when a presidency is being decided in Congress, uh, the way the votes are weighted in this instance in 2020, Republicans would have had a distinct advantage over Democrats because each state, as I understand it, and I may be wrong on this, but as I understand it, each state gets one vote based on whether or not they have more Republicans or Democrats in uh, their delegation. So if you if like California would get one vote and uh, it would be a Democratic vote. But if you look at Georgia or Alabama or Idaho uh, or Missouri, th those states also get one vote but it would be a Republican vote. Look at an electoral map of the United States. It's a sea of red. Uh, most state, most of the 50 states are red, unfortunately. So that was John Cheesebro, uh, Kenneth Cheesebro's recommendation. Whip up enough anger and confusion, force the election to be decided either by the Supreme Court or Congress. Either way, Trump wins. So long as you can also convince enough Republicans to believe voter fraud was real. And as we all know, they all do. That's look at the polling. Republicans believe the big lie. They really do. The other co-conspirator, of course, Sidney Powell, who Trump privately admitted was crazy, but he went along with her outlandish voter fraud theories, voter fraud theories about Dominion machines, Dominion voting machines that you know, when she was allowed to present her theories on Lou Dobbs and Maria Bartiroma and Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram on Fox News, because she was allowed to present these insane theories about Dominion voting machines, Fox News had to pay this year three quarters of a billion dollars to settle a defamation lawsuit filed by Dominion. Remember that? It's because of her and Rudy being allowed on Fox News to spread voter fraud lies about Dominion voting machines and a similar defamation suit against Fox News 
has been filed by a voting machine company known as Smartomatic. Also, same reason, because Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell were allowed to appear on Fox News defaming Smartmatic voting machines. Okay, Trump's plan was, after naming Jeffrey Clark as acting attorney general, Sidney Powell would be named special counsel inside the Justice Department, and she would then prosecute department. Uh, she would she would as a special counsel, she would uh, inside the Justice Department, uh, she would then prosecute Democratic officials in battleground states, accusing them of stealing the election for Joe Biden fraud. I mean, this is this is <laughs> you can't do that. You can't plan. Trump didn't get away with it, but you cannot plan to do this, right? You cannot conspire to rob a bank. And before you get the money, uh, you get arrested. Well, you're still guilty of conspiring to rob the bank, even though you didn't get any money. Okay, it's a very complicated, relentless pursuit to overturn an election. I mean, the guy, Trump is a marathon runner. The guy is going to be 80 in a couple of years. The lengths he went to stay in office is positively mind boggling. Would you go this far to keep a job? He had no support system whatsoever. Nobody was on his side. Nobody was willing to help him. Nobody except Jeffrey Clark in the Justice Department. All he had was uh, these lawyers of dubious mental health, as well as dubious intellect, who he brought in from the outside. He shopped around. He went shopping for lawyers who were craven enough uh, to help him steal an election. He couldn't find any lawyers inside the Republican Party or his own campaign. They all refused to participate. Right. He was all alone shopping for lawyers. He kept fighting for this job. And all he had, there was nobody supporting him. Nobody, not Melania, not Ivanka, not Jared. Nobody was supporting him. All he had was these co-conspirators and, of course, his army of imbeciles who believe his lies, his army of imbeciles who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. That's all he had. But Trump is tireless. You know, he's intellectually lazy. But when it comes to self-preservation, he's tireless. He is an inspiration to all of us because he's unstoppable. Nothing knocks him down. I've never heard or read of an American like Donald Trump. He, he is indefatigable. So those are the five lawyers who we believe most people are positive that these are the five unnamed co-conspirators mentioned in Tuesday's indictment, but they have not yet been indicted. OK. Why not? Because special counsel Jack Smith is fighting the clock. The elections, they're underway. You know, he's got to get Trump locked up before we elect him president. And some people, some very respected legal scholars are suggesting that Jack Smith waited too long to indict Trump. 
And they're worried that Donald Trump's lawyers will play out the clock and the trial might not take place until after the presidential election. Well, we'll see. I, I think Jack Smith, I don't know anything. I think Jack Smith from where I'm sitting, he's only been on the job eight months. I think he's done a pretty good job. No Robert Mueller, he. I mean, he's racking up indictments. He's indicting Donald Trump. And I'm guessing he didn't want to indict anybody else uh, because he has to convict Donald Trump immediately. He named six co-conspirators and he didn't indict them because he has to focus solely on getting Donald Trump locked up. And by listing six co-conspirators but not indicting them on Tuesday, he's saying the clock is ticking. You're either going to flip right now or you're next. You want to be next? Uh, that's one of the reasons I think he didn't indict them in this series of indictments. That's not saying they aren't already cooperating. I don't know. Uh, from what I understand, uh, you could cooperate and still get indicted. But your cooperation with the special counsel will be taken into consideration during your sentencing. OK, it is conceivable that all six of these co-conspirators told the special counsel everything the special counsel wanted to know with or without an immunity deal or a limited immunity deal or a proffer agreement. I don't know. I'm going to suspect that Rudy Giuliani, who we know is most definitely one of the co-conspirators mentioned in Tuesday's indictment, I think it's safe to say he did not make an immunity deal because he won't shut up. It is my understanding that when you make a deal for immunity, then you are expected to shut the F up. It's the kind of radio silence we're seeing right now from Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, not saying anything. We know he testified before Jack Smith's grand jury and Mark Meadows hasn't said a word. OK, all indications, as I said yesterday, point to Mark Meadows making some sort of an immunity deal. He's not listed in Tuesday's indictment. He's not listed as a co-conspirator. But if you if you follow the January 6th committee hearings, you know that Mark Meadows was a co-conspirator. He was Donald Trump's chief of staff. And whatever crimes Trump committed, Mark Meadows, as his chief of staff, aided and abetted every one of those crimes or committed those crimes alongside Trump or by himself. He's remaining absolutely quiet, Mark Meadows, which is the number one term of an immunity deal. Shut your effing mouth. Rudy Giuliani, on the other hand, won't stop talking again. Six co-conspirators, but none of them named officially and none of them indicted as of this morning. OK, so yesterday I listed who I thought the co-conspirators were, and it seems you know, everybody agrees. Giuliani, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Sidney Powell, 
and Kenneth Cheesebro. Uh, and so I got that right. I think we got that right. But I think maybe I got the sixth co-conspirator wrong. OK, there were five lawyers listed as co-conspirators. And then the sixth co-conspirator, unnamed, was listed as a political operative who worked closely for Donald Trump. So I figured yesterday it had to be either Roger Stone or Steve Bannon. And I said it was most probably Steve Bannon. But many people now say I'm wrong. What I've been reading, what was sent to me, by my listeners, uh, is that it's not Bannon and it's not uh, Roger Stone. I still think it's Steve Bannon, but my listeners sent me some articles that suggest the sixth co-conspirator is Peter Navarro, the economics professor who served in the Trump White House and spread lies about voter fraud. Uh, he's refused to cooperate with the January 6th committee. So this September, he goes on trial for contempt of Congress, which Steve Bannon has already been convicted of. OK, Steve Bannon, like Peter Navarro, also refused to cooperate with the January 6th committee. And Bannon was convicted of contempt of Congress, which carries a one year prison sentence. He's appealing the conviction, and that trial also begins in September. Okay, so I'm I'm going to still say I think it's Steve Bannon. It's wishful thinking that it's Steve Bannon, uh, because here's why I think it's Steve Bannon, or here's why I hope it's Steve Bannon. He's the enemy. Steve Bannon is know your enemy. Steve Bannon is our enemy. He is, he was the gray eminence throughout the Trump administration, whether he was in the White House, whether he was working for running Breitbart or doing his own podcast. He was the gray eminence most definitely on January 6th. He was meeting at the Willard Hotel. They set up a command center at the Willard Hotel, which is next door to the White House, and they were meeting uh, the night before January 6th, plotting something. Who who was in the command center at the Willard Hotel? Well, Roger Stone, Rudy Giuliani, General Michael Flynn. And so of those people, uh, a bigger case can be made that uh, and Navarro, Peter Navarro, was also in the command center. But a bigger case could be made that Steve Bannon had been cooperating with Perhaps, perhaps cooperating with the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. We know that Roger Stone and Michael Flynn were either using the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers as bodyguards while they were meeting in the Willard Hotel Command Center on January 3rd, 4th and 5th. In Roger Stone's case, he proudly took the Proud Boy Oath and became an honorary member of the Proud Boys, Right. The Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, never forget their leaders are doing time right now for seditious conspiracy. OK, there is video of Steve Bannon using his podcast to bring out the crowd for January 6th. There's also video of his saying that, quote, all hell 
is going to break loose on January 6th. So I am hoping that it's Steve Bannon, who is the sixth, sixth unnamed uh, co-conspirator. However, there was reporting late Wednesday that the sixth co-conspirator is Boris Epstein. I used to call him Boris Epstein, but he's uh, Russian. He's it's Boris Epstein. Okay. In January of last year, Boris Epstein, a White House campaign advisor. Okay, so in the indictment, they say the six unnamed co-conspirator is a, a, a White House campaign advisor. Okay, that that could be Boris Epstein. Uh, in January of 2022, Boris Epstein openly admitted that he was part of the phony elector scheme to send phony electors to Washington from these battleground states, right? Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, Wisconsin, Nevada, and New Mexico. He openly admitted, yes. He said, I'm taking orders, or I was taking orders from Rudy Giuliani. He said, openly, you can Google this. Yes, we, we were running an alternative elector scheme. He didn't call it a phony elector scheme. He called it an alternative slate of electors that would be sent to Washington on January 6th. And he said Rudy Giuliani was running the entire shop to send these phony. He called them alter, alternative electors, not phony electors, you know, alternative electors like alter, Remember, Kellyanne Conway said there are alternative facts. Well, they were going to send alternative electors to Washington, D.C. Boris Epstein was also reportedly working inside the Willard Hotel Command Center alongside Rudy Giuliani. You know, January 5th, they were in the Willard. Rudy, Steve Bannon, Roger Stone and Michael Flynn and Mark Meadows chickened out. He didn't show up to the Willard Hotel on January 5th. He phoned he phoned it in, which suggests that Meadows has criminal intent. He knew that command center was a den of thieves. I better stay out of there. Okay. The fact that Mark Meadows knew not to show up at the command center at the Willard Hotel proves that he knew this is illegal. And that makes him a criminal. Again, this is all conjecture. It's being batted. The Boris Epstein theory is conjecture batted around. And uh, some people think it makes sense. However, Boris Epstein is a lawyer, okay? And in the indictment, five of the six co-conspirators were identified as lawyers. The six, however, was identified only as a political operative. Boris Epstein is a lawyer. And Jack Smith, if you read the indictment, is going after lawyers. He wants to humiliate third-rate third rate legal minds and expose them. OK, if Boris Epstein is the sixth co-conspirator, then why wasn't the sixth co-conspirator identified as a lawyer? Doesn't make sense. Uh, so I'm going to stick with Steve Bannon. That's my theory. It's a wild guess. OK, I'm guessing the sixth unnamed co-conspirator is Steve Bannon. I have nothing 
to base this on other than wishful thinking and that he's not a lawyer. He's, uh, Steve Bannon has an MBA from Harvard, but he's not a lawyer. And, you know, he's a big fish in the international pond of fascists. His fascism is worldwide. Steve Bannon is really dangerous, okay? If you want to stop the spread of fascism here in America and around the world, you lock up Steve Bannon. He's always off in Hungary, helping out Viktor Orban. He's traveling around the world, spreading the authoritarian gospel, advising Bolsonaro in Brazil. On the world stage, on the world stage of fascists, he is a major player. He is a threat to democracies around the world, especially since he knows how to raise money. He's got Wall Street ties. So, again, I'm guessing, I'm hoping the unnamed co-conspirator, the sixth unnamed co-conspirator is the fascist Steve Bannon. He is very interesting, the same way Joseph Goebbels is interesting. Bannon is, sadly to say, uh, an intellectual as much as a fascist can be an intellectual. He's a student of fascism. He ran Donald Trump's presidential campaign for a little while back in 2016, and he understands the right wing mind and how to manipulate it. Now, as I understand it, back in 2016, Steve Bannon uh, schooled Trump on tapping into the racist vote, although Donald Trump didn't really need to be schooled in racism and how to appeal to racists. He, he figured that out by, by himself. I mean, wasn't his father arrested at a Klan meeting? But Steve Bannon really studied the fascist mind, the authoritarian playbook. Uh, he went deeper and schooled Donald Trump on tapping into the involuntary celibate vote, right? The involuntary celibates, the men who uh, are sexually frustrated, who are angry at themselves and even angrier at women. He realized they were an untapped voting block in 2016. I have read, I've been told that Steve Bannon is the one who discovered a large voting block on the Internet where lonely, angry, sexually frustrated men could fall prey to both the charms of QAnon and a fascist like Donald Trump. It was the perfect, he figured it out, the perfect intersection of conspiracy theories, loneliness, sexual frustration, anger, rage, and Donald Trump. And supposedly, uh, Steve Bannon, the same way Joseph Goebbels schooled Hitler, supposedly Steve Bannon schooled Donald Trump in spreading confusion, keeping Americans in, in a constant state of chaos, back on our heels. Three, every day, Donald Trump would throw something at us and we couldn't keep track of his lies or the tsunami of right wing authoritarian policy he was shoving down our throats. Remember what it was like when Donald Trump was president? Every day was a fresh horror of confusion. 
Bannon, and I'm absolutely certain of this, Bannon is the one who trained Donald Trump, taught Donald Trump how to flood the end zone. This is a term that Steve Bannon uses. Flood the end zone with so many lies that the media doesn't have time to parse truth from innuendo, truth from lies, truth from half-truths. He calls it flooding the end zone, where you just, right? No schedule, just pure chaos. And what does that create? It creates a need for an authoritarian to step up amidst all this confusion and say, I alone can save this country. How many times have we heard Donald Trump say, I and only I alone can save this country? But he doesn't add, from the chaos I am inflicting upon it. Bannon, you know, uh, he was Trump's Joseph Goebbels and communicated with Trump via his podcast and radio show after Trump fired him from the White House. Steve Bannon, way too smart, way too evil. Steve Bannon, I'm hoping he's the sixth conspirator uh, because he's dangerous. He is a, Steve Bannon is an example of what happens to incredibly smart, incredibly ambitious men who nobody wants to have sex with. That's what happens when you're incredibly ambitious and incredibly smart, but nobody wants to have sex with you. You turn into Frank Luntz, Joseph Goebbels, or Steve Bannon. I'm being cruel, but it's the truth. If Frank Luntz, Joseph Goebbels, or uh, Steve Bannon... Uh, if anybody wanted to have sex with them, they wouldn't be who they are. I know Joseph Goebbels had uh, children. Magda Goebbels, don't get me started on Magda, who uh, before Joseph was married to a Jew. Little, I don't want to get into that. I could talk about <laughs> Magda Goebbels all night. And the way she put the kids to bed in the bunker as the allies were coming into Berlin. Uh, boy, could she read a bedtime story to her kids? When, when Magda Goebbels read a bedtime story to her kids, they, they fell asleep and they stayed asleep. So Donald Trump is scheduled to appear before a Washington, D.C. judge at 4 p.m. Thursday afternoon today, where he will be charged for the role he played in attempting to overturn the 2020 presidential election, resulting in the January 6th insurrection. Look, I know there's climate catastrophe, cops shooting unarmed black men in the back, income inequality, and health insurance companies murdering tens of thousands of Americans each month. That's what's really important. But there's also the threat of fascism here in America. And so this might be the single most important and most delicious trial of my lifetime, as well as yours. I can't help it. This trial is my guilty pleasure. 
everyone I hate has been indicted or named as a co-conspirator. If you looked at my enemies list, they are all in this <laughs> indictment. And, you know, I hate a lot of people, as you know, but the problem with me is I have unrequited hate. You've heard of unrequited love. I have unrequited hate. And by that, I mean the people I hate never get what's coming to them. Never. In fact, if you want to succeed in life, pay me to root against you and you will have all your dreams will come true. Get me to hate you first. I should charge people in Hollywood to root against them. You know how movies, the, the, the producers pay publicists? F that. Give me all the money you give publicists. Just pay me to to root against your movie. It'll clean up at the box office. I promise you, if I hate you, if I actively hate you and root against you, the sky is the limit. I cannot tell you how many Peabody Awards, Oscars, Emmys, Nobel Peace Prizes I'm responsible for simply because I hated these people. But this trial, the people I hate are finally suffering. This is so delicious for me. I've waited a lifetime for this. Trump is scheduled to appear before Judge Tanya S. Chutkan, who has been assigned the case. And Trump is not going to like Judge Chutkan. Not at all. First off, she is a she. Okay, right off the bat, Donald Trump isn't going to like that. Even worse, she's an immigrant. Wait, it gets even worse than that. She's an immigrant from Jamaica, which means she's black. And to top it all off, she was appointed by President Obama. Okay, this is this is going to be so unnerving for Donald Trump today when he has to go before a female black immigrant appointed by Obama. Is there anything Donald Trump hates more than a female black immigrant appointed by Donald Trump? She's been presiding over several cases involving January 6th, and the records show she has been less than sympathetic to Trump, as well as those January 6th imbeciles. Uh, it was Judge Chutkin who ruled two years ago that Trump had to turn White House records over to the January 6th committee. In her ruling, she uh, told Donald Trump's lawyers, quote, presidents are not kings. And then she added, and this got under Donald Trump's skin. She also added, and by the way, your plaintiff is no longer president, right? Presidents aren't kings. And by the way, your client isn't president anymore. In the past two years, she has delivered harsh sentences to the January 6th defendants, accusing them of attempting to prevent an orderly transfer of power. That's significant to accuse the January 6th rioters of attempting to prevent an ordinary transfer of power clearly suggests that she understands what's at stake with these indictments. So there's no word as to whether she will be the presiding judge during today's arraignment. 
arrest of Donald Trump. But moving forward, she is the judge assigned to this case. Uh, But she something tells me she may not be there for his arrest today. If you remember Judge Eileen Cannon, she's a Trump appointee. Uh, She's presiding over the trial in my Amy involving Trump's mishandling of classified documents. If you remember, she was not present for his arraignment down there, but she is Eileen Cannon is still the presiding judge. I'm hoping that Judge Tanya S. Chutkin is there today at four o'clock to welcome Donald Trump into the warm embrace of the Washington, D.C. criminal justice system. Welcome. Former President Donald Trump. Uh, She is no lightweight, this judge, as opposed to Eileen Cannon, who was a Trump appointee, and she's presiding over the classified documents case. Uh, Eileen Cannon is a lightweight uh, and light skinned, which is why Donald Trump appointed her. Right. Light skin. If you're a light skinned, lightweight. Donald Trump won't make you a judge. Uh, Eileen Cannon has like absolutely no experience as a judge. Same cannot be said for Judge Tanya S. Chutkan. She is a former public defender. She's a liberal who has donated to Democrats as far back as Walter Mondale's failed 1984 race against Ronald Reagan. So how fast can this go to trial? The clock is ticking. As I said earlier, a lot of legal scholars are saying Jack Smith dragged his feet and it's too late. I don't buy that. I don't think he dragged his feet at all. But how fast can we get this to go to trial? Well, Judge Chutkin is apparently known for moving trials along and is no fan of lawyers attempting to run out the clock. Okay. This was interesting. I I didn't know this. On the Today Show, Wednesday morning, the day after the indictments came down, Donald Trump's attorney, John Lauro, suggested that prosecutors are attempting to bring this trial, bring this to trial three months from today. But he hinted that he will file motions for delay. Uh, But I, I, I has anybody heard that? that Jack Smith wants to go to trial in three months? Is that even remotely possible? I don't know. Be nice. It would be nice. I don't know. There is reporting that Trump's lawyers will be throwing the five conspirators under the the bus. bus. So I've been thinking, uh, yesterday I was thinking, okay, what is the defense going to be? How do you defend Donald Trump? It's indefensible, right? He's got, you know, he's got nobody who's going to testify on his behalf, including himself, right? He's not going to testify. He can't. He has, he's never testified. He didn't testify in the Eugene Carroll civil lawsuit. He cannot go before a jury because of his lack of impulse control. He will perjure himself, okay? Who is going to defend Donald Trump? Who is going to be a character witness or who is going to testify that Donald Trump didn't knowingly lie about voter fraud and instigate 
uh, a riot, an insurrection on January 6th. There is nobody, nobody who's going to test. The only people who would testify on his behalf are these six co-conspirators. But they're looking at indictments, right? Those are the only people who will testify on his behalf. So how do you defend this guy? How do you defend him? So I read last night some reporting that Trump's lawyers and this makes sense. And I'm going to I'm going to try to tell you how I would uh, make I, I would make my services available to Donald Trump as a defense attorney. I think I can help you build on this defense because I'm out of my mind and it requires a crazy person to defend Donald Trump. Right. So here's here's how I would build on what I think is going to be Donald Trump's defense. He's still going to go to prison. But, you know, you got to you got to present a defense. You got to earn the money from you know the 40 million dollars. The super PAC is raising for his legal defense. You got to earn your money. I'm drinking from the anyway, I'm not going to mention that. Uh, OK, so how am I doing on time? All right. This is how I would defend Donald Trump. It's a little convoluted, but that's how you defend Donald Trump, right? Nothing has to make sense. I'm just going to throw some dirt in your eyes and confuse you just enough to think, well, maybe there maybe there's something here, which is the only way you can defend Donald Trump or or convince the American people that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden run a crime family. Just throw dirt in people's face. Doesn't have to be true. Doesn't have to be based on any legal precedent. It just has to sound like there's a germ of truth behind this. But I do think I, ha- I, I genuinely think because I'm out of my mind and ignorant and shameless, I think this is his defense. Or at least I think this is the defense you're going to be hearing. So try to follow this because I do think I thought long and hard about this. I genuinely think this is how they're going to try to defend Donald Trump. Hear me out. okay? so there is reporting that Trump's lawyers are going to throw the five co-conspirators under the bus, the five lawyers. Right. Uh, They're going to blame Trump's lawyers. The co-conspirators, they're going to blame them for providing Donald Trump with poor legal counsel. They're going to portray Donald Trump as the victim of poor legal counsel. It's bullshit, but that's what they're already beginning to do, right? There is reporting that his lawyers plan to prove that Trump in the lead up to January 6th was the victim of bad lawyering. When in fact, Trump's lawyers are the victims of bad clienting. You know, every lawyer in the world told Trump there was no voter fraud. It's, and we can't help you here. There was no way. They said there's no way to find anything in the Constitution, in the Electoral Count Act of 1887, the 12th, there's the 12th Amendment. There's no there's nothing. There's no way to work the laws to change the results in these swing states. Every lawyer said that except for the five co-conspirators. 
right? Who are all lawyers. Trump searched for the absolute worst lawyers in the world and convinced them to dream up a legal strategy that could justify stealing an election. We know that. He went, you know, he looked for five, he had to find lawyers. He shopped until he found five, six lawyers who would help him steal an election. So he's not the victim of bad lawyering. But that's the only way you can defend him in, in a court of law, portraying him as the victim. Okay, so stick with me here. Now, the defense that they're using in the court of public opinion is that Jack Smith is <laughs> violating Trump's First Amendment rights. It, it, it is whenever these fascists are busted, they they call it censorship, right? That's the only thing these fascists, these Republicans have. Freedom of speech, First Amendment, doesn't matter what the crime is now. It all gets down to censorship and freedom of speech. That's what they're saying, that Jack Smith indicted, that his indictments violate Donald Trump's First Amendment rights. So what if I ordered someone to murder my neighbor? I have freedom of speech to say whatever I want, including, hey, you go murder my neighbor. <laughs> that's my that's freedom of speech. Really? Uh, but you also paid that person fifty thousand dollars to murder your neighbor. Money is speech. You read the Citizens United decision. Money is speech. Paying someone to murder your neighbor is freedom of speech. I can spend money on anything I want. Uh, no, money is not speech. First of all, the Supreme Court is wrong. And conspiring to overturn an election is not protected by the First Amendment. What are we? Are we in the fourth grade? I swear this argument you hear about this is a they're violating Jack Smith is violating uh, Donald Trump's First Amendment rights. Uh, this is what a fourth grader would would say. And the teacher would respond. I like the way you think. That's, you know, for a fourth grader, st stick with it. Stick with it. Freedom of speech doesn't protect Donald Trump's right to order his lawyers to steal an election. Freedom of speech doesn't protect Donald Trump's right to tell Mike Pence not to certify the election on January 6th. And freedom of speech doesn't protect Trump's right to tell thousands of armed protesters on January 6th to go down to the Capitol and fight like hell. Can't scream fire in a crowded movie theater. That's not freedom of speech. This is not a First Amendment issue. Okay, so let me offer up a defense for Donald Trump. This is what I think they're going to end up insisting upon. It, it's insane, but I'm insane. And uh, I, I mark my words. I genuinely believe this will be the defense. Okay, how do you defend Donald Trump? So this is the defense I think we're going to be hearing. Mark my words. In the next couple of weeks, this is the defense you're going to be hearing. I think Trump's lawyers 
are going to say he was, in fact, the victim of bad lawyering. And here's how Trump's lawyers are going to frame it. I can't see them doing it any other way. Okay, this is a little complicated uh, and it's really stupid, but it sounds smart. I mean, it's so stupid, it's smart. So you may want to rewind this. Okay. Now, they're going to claim that Trump's lawyers tricked Donald Trump into believing there were sufficient ambiguities in the Constitution, in the 12th Amendment, and our nation's election laws. They're, they're going to say that Trump was tricked into believing that there were enough ambiguities in the Constitution, the 12th Amendment, and our nation's election laws to allow him to twist Mike Pence's arm and convince him that he does, in fact, have the unitary power not to certify the election on January 6th. OK, Trump's lawyers, mark my words, they're going to claim that Donald Trump is the victim of his lawyers poor reading of the laws governing federal elections, poor reading of the Constitution and the 12th Amendment. OK. Trump's attorneys are also going to say that Trump's lawyers misread the U.S. Constitution and convinced Donald Trump that state legislatures, individual state legislatures, have the unitary power to decide the outcome of a presidential election. Remember, I talked about this at the top of the show, and I I begged you to, to remember this. I kind of explained it. There is a legal theory, okay? There is a reading of the Constitution that John Eastman, Kenneth Cheesebro, these are the co-conspirators, the lawyers who wrote the memos. There has been for decades a president, a theory about presidential elections. There is a reading of the Constitution that claims state legislatures can decide who won a presidential election in their state and which slate of electors should be sent to Washington on January 6th. I know this is really confusing. It's mind boggling how people can find things in the Constitution. But, you know, it's mind boggling what people can find in the Bible, right? That homosexuality is a sin, right? Um, but people will find, you know, people will find things in the Bible and people will find things in the Constitution to further their venal agenda. OK, there is a legal theory that John Eastman Kenneth Cheesebro, Rudy signed on to this, uh, Sidney Powell signed on to this, his lawyers signed on to this legal theory that state legislatures decide which slate of electors to send and that the governor of that state, as well as the state Supreme Court, have absolutely no say. They have no right to intervene. It is the legislative branch of these states that decides how elections are conducted. That is the legal theory, okay? Operating off that legal theory, Donald Trump 
was inviting the leaders of state legislatures to the White House after the election. Do you remember? He started bringing, I think, Pennsylvania uh, state leg- uh, representatives from the state legislature, I think from Michigan and Pennsylvania, had meetings with Trump in the Oval Office where he was twisting their arm and telling them, read the Constitution. You and you alone can determine which slate of electors to send to Washington, D.C. There's voter fraud. I can prove it. And you have to declare that there's voter fraud in Pennsylvania and in Michigan. And you have to send a slate of electors for me, not Joe Biden. Okay, this is why Rudy Giuliani, based on this reading, this phony reading of the Constitution. It is why Rudy Giuliani traveled around the country, going to Arizona, Pennsylvania and Michigan. That's why he testified before state legislatures in the lead up to January 6th, trying to prove voter fraud, while at the same time trying to convince the Republican controlled state legislatures that the Constitution allows them to overturn election results and decide on their own slate of electors to send to Washington, D.C. There was legal undergirding to this in memos written by John Eastman and Kenneth Cheesebro and Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, right? They advised Donald Trump that this was in the Constitution, that nobody was breaking the law, courting state legislators uh, in battleground states. At the time, and this is really important, by the way, I'm insane, okay? And this, I, this, is, this is insane what I'm telling you. But this is going to be their defense, okay? This is really important. Please stay with my insanity because this is going to be Donald Trump's defense. I promise you, okay? They are going to claim that this legal theory about state legislatures was a theory that had never been tested which gives Trump's lawyers legal standing to claim that because the legal theory had never been tested, they were not breaking the law when they pushed state legislatures to send their own slate of electors. Okay, of course, now you also have to convince the state legislatures of voter fraud, which didn't exist. Okay, and. That's criminal. But that again, this doesn't it doesn't matter. This is I'm just telling you what the defense is going to be there. There there whole there are more holes in this theory than in Chris Christie's underwear after a dinner at Taco Bell or some lousy joke like that. OK. Um, OK, so this is the defense they're going to use. Mark my words. They're going to say the primacy of the legislative branch in individual states when it comes to elections was never tested. Therefore, nobody knew it was against the law. It was never tested. And this is really important. Okay, it's insane. It's insane. 
Okay, but this is what they're going to say. They're going to say this legislative theory had never been tested until last month when the Supreme Court rejected that legal theory in a case that had nothing to do with the 2020 presidential election involved gerrymandering. But the primacy of the legislative branch when it comes to election laws in individual states, what the theory was tested. And last month, the Supreme Court rejected the theory. Okay, They rejected the theory that state legislatures have almost unlimited power to decide the rules of elections in each state. Which means, Your Honor, when my client, Donald Trump, and Rudy Giuliani were pushing this legislative theory, it had not yet been rejected by the Supreme Court, hadn't been tested. As far as we were concerned, it was okay to try to convince state legislators that they had the unitary power to overturn the elections in their states. That's what Trump's lawyers are going to say. It's the only thing they can say. They're going to say at the time it wasn't illegal. And if it was illegal, how is my client Donald Trump supposed to know that? Blame Rudy for bad lawyering. Blame John Eastman for bad lawyering. Blame Sidney Powell for bad lawyering. Blame Kenneth Cheesebro for bad lawyering. Blame Jeffrey Clark in the Justice Department who wanted, who tried to trick my client, Donald Trump, into naming him acting attorney general. Blame Jeffrey Clark for bad lawyering. But your honor, please don't blame my client who was merely getting bad legal advice from these lawyers who he went shopping around for, for bad legal advice, okay? Look, this is pretty good if, if you're an effing liar, which is the only way you can defend Donald Trump. This is, this is his defense. This is his only defense. I promise you. I mean, you know, I always say I'm usually wrong. I really... You know, I'm insane. I've racked my brain trying to figure out how to how do you defend Beelzebub? This is the only way as far as I can see it. OK, second part of his defense. I don't know if anybody's still listening to me. Uh, and yes, I've gone off the deep end. I've gone off. The, I'm totally obsessed with this trial. OK, this is the second prong of my defense for Donald Trump. And this is really important. You know, if you're having a nervous breakdown like me, okay, this is like the most important thing in the world, you know, if you're losing it. Okay, here's the second prong of the defense for Donald Trump, Your Honor. If you recall, Your Honor, in December of last year, Congress had to rewrite the Electoral Count Act of 1887 in December. As recently as December of last year, Joe Biden had to sign into law a rewrite, an update of the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Why was that, Your Honor? Why did Congress feel the need to update the laws 
regarding the counting of votes for a presidential election. Trump's lawyers are going to say, what compelled Congress, what compelled Joe Biden to sign into law a rewrite of the Electoral Count Act of 1887, Your Honor? Why do they have to put it into law in December of last year? Why did they have to put it into law and make it clear that the vice president is a purely ceremonial position on January 6th, Your Honor? If what prosecutors say that, that everybody knew that Mike Pence couldn't decertify an election on January 6th, 2021. Why in December of 2022, Your Honor, did Joe Biden and the Congress have to put it into law that that the vice president is during on January 6th is a purely ceremonial office? If if everybody knew that it, it was a ceremonial office, then why put it into law? That's what Donald Trump's lawyers are going to claim. Mark my words. This is his only defense. This is what they're going to say. They're going to say the fact that Congress last year had a spell out that the vice president has zero power to certify or decertify a presidential election on January 6th. That is dispositive proof that back on January 6th, 2021, the law was not clear as to whether or not Mike Pence did or did not have the power to decertify a presidential election. If the law was, in fact, clear, Your Honor, why did they have to update it in December of last year? Trump's lawyers are going to insist that only now, looking back through hindsight, and Supreme Court rulings last month and legislation passed in December of last year. Only now do we know that a president can't twist the vice president's arm to decertify an election, twist the arms of state legislators to send their own slate of Electors Only now, after the Supreme Court ruled, only now, after Congress passed a bill, do we know for certain that the actions of my client, Donald Trump, were illegal. But at the time, on January 6th, in the lead up to January 6th, because of bad lawyering, my client had no idea that he was breaking the law. Okay, that will be Donald Trump's defense. How do I know that? Because I'm an effing idiot. I think like an idiot. And those are the only lawyers stupid enough to defend Donald Trump. Idiots like me. Which means he's going to prison. He's going to prison. He's going to prison. He's going to prison. The bikers, the the Trump bikers, you can riot in the streets. He's going to prison. He's going to prison. This isn't this isn't the Mueller report. Mueller didn't indict. Jack Smith is indicting. He's going to prison 
over the it's a sl- the the classified material case is a slam dunk and the January 6th case is a slam dunk you tell me i got to wrap it up you tell me one person who's going to testify on behalf of Donald Trump name one per- not even Donald Trump is going to testify on behalf of Donald Trump. He is going to prison. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. He's going to prison. 